You're listening to Understanding Joel, where we take a look at the book of Joel and unpack its major themes and apply it to our modern context. And we're going to be doing a series of these series, uh, talking about different books of the Bible and trying to understand them and make them uh, bite-sized teaching portions that you can listen to throughout your day and can make the Bible more accessible because I think that that's one of the great needs of our time. We need people understanding and reading and wrestling with the Bible themselves. So hopefully this can be a resource and a tool for you to do that. Just to recap, we've looked at the book of Joel, which is talking about the promise of restoration after uh, a period of judgment. And what we see in uh, Joel chapter one is a national disaster. A plague of locusts has come in and raised Israel's crops to the ground. And then in chapter two, there's another plague, but this time it's a plague of an invading army sent in by God to discipline Israel for their idolatry. But then God gives them a promise. If you will repent and turn your hearts toward me, I will relent. And not only that, I will bring restoration. All that the locusts have taken away, I will restore. And you'll know that this period of restoration has happened when the Spirit of God is poured out on all of you. And it all centers around this idea of the day of the Lord, which is an act of God in which he brings about his good purposes through judgment or salvation or both, where judgment is followed by salvation. And and that's what we see in the book of Joel. Judgment comes, but then there's a call to repentance and then a promise of restoration in which God will do more than he did before, that God will redeem and forgive sins and bring about a restoration and transformation of Israel into people who love him. And God will once again dwell with his people. That's the great promise. Now in Joel chapter three, we're gonna see that God not only wants to bring the nations into his kingdom, but he's also gonna judge them for their disobedience. And here we see a foretaste of this final judgment that we have to remember Jesus Christ, when he returns, is going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge nations. Uh, He's going to hold people to account for their sins. And those who are opposed to Jesus Christ will face his wrath. I want you to follow along and listen to some of the language used about God's wrath against the nations. This is Joel chapter three. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah and they will send them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations, consecrate for war, stir up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring your warriors down, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. 
Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the winepress is full. The vats overflow for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and earth quake. The Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water from the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So what we see here is the prophet Joel warning Israel that if she persists in sin, God will judge her by exiling her from the land and placing her under the rule of the Gentiles. So all of this is in accord with Moses' teaching in Deuteronomy chapter 30. But the prophets also, along with Deuteronomy 30, promise that if Israel repents, God will return them to the land, forgive them, change their hearts, and defeat their enemies. So Deuteronomy 30 is basically, you know, you can imagine Moses about to lead Israel into the promised land, but he knows he can't go in and he's going, hey guys, when you're in there, here are the ground rules. If you obey God, you get to stay in and enjoy the land. If you disobey, you get cut off and you're exiled. And what we see in the book of Joel is just the playing out of those consequences. Israel has sinned against God, and God is going to exile them just like he promised. And God's actually very patient. He doesn't exile them immediately, but he gives them thousands of years of prosperity before he finally kicks them out of the land. But what you notice here is interesting. God says that these nations that I'm going to use to displace you and to exile you, I'm going to actually judge them for taking you over. So there's an interesting uh, view of God's sovereignty where these other nations are coming against Israel and they have their own motives. They want to plunder them. They want to conquer. But God uses those same people and he has his own plan for them. So it's the same action, invasion, but God's intention is that they would be used to discipline Israel. But the people that he's using, the pagans that he's using, their intention is to plunder the land and and expand their empire. So both those things can exist at the same time. But here's what's interesting. God still holds them accountable, those nations that invade, for their evil, wicked desires. He says that I'm going to judge you for exiling my people. I'm going to judge you for attacking Jerusalem. And it's like, well, wait a minute. God, weren't you the one who sent them? Well, yes, but he sent them with a different motivation. And this is kind of a difficult thing to put together, but we see it in Scripture that God is in control of everything. God does send a foreign army to discipline his people, but then he also disciplines that army for attacking his people because of their evil motivations. Now, what's the whole point of this? Well, on the day of the Lord, God is going to judge all the nations. And chapter three opens with the emphatic word, behold, right? In those days and at that time, speaking of the day of the Lord, God's going to restore Jerusalem, gather the nations and judge them for their hostility towards Israel. And God takes particular aim at Tyre, Sidon, and the regions of Philistia because they sold Jerusalem to the Greeks. And then he challenges all the nations to bring their best men to fight him. And the nations will stir themselves up, but God will judge them in the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
Now, Jehoshaphat stands for, or it means, the Lord has judged. And there'll be this climactic battle between God and the nations that reject him. And it's going to result in the sun, moon, and stars going dark. Again, a political upheaval. This is symbolic, as we've discussed in other episodes. This is a symbol describing the destruction of an old order and the bringing in of a new order. The destruction of the nations of the world and the rebellion and the bringing in of God's kingdom made up of all nations and tribes. Now, what we notice is that the Lord is going to roar from Zion, which is a word another name for Jerusalem. So Israel still has a plan in God's purposes that God is going to use Jerusalem and Israel as the center of his kingdom and the heavens and earth will shake in terror. So all people who are against God's people symbolized by Zion will, uh, will, will be terrified of God's judgment when Jesus Christ returns. But those who trust in the Lord will find a refuge that The fact that God is so terrifying to his enemies should be a comfort to those who are within God's people, that God would protect his own to that degree. So God judges the nations and we see Egypt and Edom, two of Israel's long-standing enemies, ending up desolate, but Judah will be inhabited forever. So there's a reversal again. Remember, Judah begins being desolate because the foreign armies invade and the plague of locusts invade and strips the land bare, but now it's the nations of the world who will be stripped bare and Judah and Israel will be made prosperous. So there's a reversal of their fortunes and God's going to avenge the blood of his people against their enemies and the result will be blessing. The mountains will drip with wine and the hills flow with milk. This is a foretaste of God's kingdom, of God's glory, of God's administration on this earth. We have to remember that God's kingdom is an earthly reality, that God wants to bring the new Jerusalem from heaven down here. We're not transported up to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem comes down. What is that symbolizing? That God's rule is over this physical world, that God is for us, and that the gospel is a political announcement, right? God is going to judge the actual nations that exist, Iran and China and the United States and Canada and Mexico and Bolivia and all these different countries will have to give an account to God. We don't want to just make judgment just in the sky somewhere detached from our actual world. But God is going to reckon with all the nations that are against him. Christ is king. We must repent and follow him. And this is a sure promise to all who call upon the name of the Lord that God's going to restore us. Maybe not immediately, maybe not till the next life. But no nation can thwart his good purposes. Joel begins with a lament over a locust plague and ends with rejoicing over fountains of water flowing from a temple. That he will restore the years the locusts took and not only restore them, but expand upon them. That God is the God who will do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. And this is where the gospel comes in. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. That he took the evil of the world on his shoulders on the cross. He drove it into the grave and he resurrected and he ascended on high to be at the right hand of the Father. That's a royal appointment. God has raised his king by the spirit to be the ruler of the world. And our message as a church is repent. Whoever else you are following, whatever kings you follow in your life, turn away from them. Make Christ the ultimate ruler of your life. And that's an invitation to all who call upon the name of the Lord. And that's the message of Joel. 
that God's judgment is not the end of the story. That if you're a Christian, God has already judged your sins in Jesus Christ. And he promises you resurrection. He promises you new life. That is a gift that is open to you that you have. Receive it and believe it. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is an opportunity. His arms are open. This is the age in which God's judgment is not full yet. There's a way to be saved. And that is to trust in the name of Jesus Christ, who died for sinners and rose again that we might live a new life.